Hello everyone and welcome to the next episode in our Red Talks podcast series. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine, uh, founder of Quick Release Automotive and self-confessed digital plumber, Rob Ferroni. Welcome Rob, how are you? Hi, yeah thanks for having me along. No, you're more than welcome, thanks for fitting us into it, I know you've got a busy schedule so uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, pleasure. This is a bit of a weird one for me as uh, obviously I know you so well as a very good friend. Um, but being typical blokes, we've never really actually chatted in detail about how you've successfully scaled your business over the past 20 years. So uh, we can probably get into that. And I'm genuinely looking forward to finding out more about that journey. Um, and given we are pals, I'm going to let kind of Megan ask you a few questions about the early days. And I've told her there are definitely a few topics that are off limits. Um, <laughs> and then I'll get into the conversation around how you built and scaled your business. So over sure. to you, Megan. Hi Rob, thanks so much for coming on and taking the time to chat with us today. I've heard lots about you from Matt, so it's great to virtually meet you myself. Um, something that we like to ask all of our guests, and to be honest, it's often one of the things that I find most interesting um, out of the conversation, is just a bit about your early life. So school, your upbringing, um, this usually involves a bit of chat around university too, but as I've been told, this is off limits today, so <laughs> we'll have to keep that one quiet, but there's always next time. Um, so what was your upbringing like and how has it influenced uh, who you are today? Um, yeah, so Megan, thanks for the uh, question. I, the when I uh, what I know now is is it's a, I guess it's a it's a, a privileged white middle class upbringing, um, <laughs> but but actually um, you know it's um, and also in in context of where I live today I live in Germany and um, my so my family my father's from Italy uh, my mum's from the UK and my father moved over when he was sixteen and, and met my mum and um, yeah born in the um, seaside town. Um, of Bournemouth on the on the UK south coast, and um, yeah, had a, I guess it was a, a, a relatively normal upbringing, apart from the fact of, of this kind of European context. You know, we had the Italian family there, mm. and um, um, yeah, it it was um, I, I guess a little bit um, sheltered, and compared to you know my, my dad had no education in Italy and, and it was a very poor family and, and they came over and um, you know I got the opportunities that that he didn't have and that my mum didn't have and so I got to you know do great things like go to university etc and uh, yeah at the time it, it felt quite normal although um, um, yeah in hindsight it's actually you know I was fortunate to, to be given those opportunities and um, you know it, uh, I, I, I didn't um, get necessary guidance from the family either because they hadn't been through that experience so um i, get, I was one of the family that, that kind of forged a path that you know the the, the previous generations hadn't done so le learning as i went i guess and, uh, and i guess just jumping in there but you know were you naturally academic as a kid you know you obviously went followed a kind of engineering type um you know journey and pathway through uni but as a kind of younger kid was that always what you wanted to do I know you were into making things and breaking things but <laughs> yeah can you talk a bit more about that yeah I, I think it's that it's just a, a level of curiosity I think about how things work why they worked and and um my my dad was great at creating the conditions for kind of just you know doing stuff and, and breaking stuff and fixing stuff and making things and so I kind of saw him doing what he did and that I, I guess that 
that helped to, to form my my brain and the way it works. And, and de- definitely not academic. You know, I I, um, I never, um, you know, let's say got academia, but but I kind of ma- managed to be be successful with um, A levels. And you know, it was a, a shock when I got the the two one for my degree. You know, I, I, I wasn't expecting that at all. And uh, yeah, so I'm definitely not a first kind of person, but um, yeah, it, it's um, and the, the the interesting thing as well. You you mentioned about going for an engineering degree, but I I I just knew even even probably in year one, I just knew that I was never going to be an engineer. But but somehow the the engineering world was my, was my space, and um, you know I've actually I guess found my niche within that engineering world as a as a non engineer engineer. Yeah, you certainly found that. No, that's really interesting. And it was nice just to hear a bit about about kind of like your early life as well. Matt had told me about your Italian father. And, you know, when Matt first met him, when you guys were at uni together and Matt went to kind of shake his hand and be very British and he was like, give me a hug. <laughs> so, yeah. I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> One of those awkward moments. <laughs> yeah. But but it's interesting to hear that. And I was just wondering as well, like the fact that obviously you said you got the opportunities that your father didn't. Did that make you more driven, do you think? Did you kind of almost feel a bit of a sense of responsibility? Like, I'm getting to go to university, he didn't. And then you did feel like, even though you said you weren't the most academic, like you had to excel in some way. I never never had any pressure. That that was, I guess... you know, in the same way that I never, I didn't necessarily get guidance, or, that, or they weren't able to talk from experience. Mm. At the same time, I never had any pressure, or they never tried to influence me. They, they just, they just supported me and gave me the opportunities. And um, yeah, so I was, I was fortunate in that to that extent. I never, yeah, definitely never felt like um, I had a burden on me either. It was, um, it, it just felt quite a natural progression. That's good. And I think sometimes that almost instills more confidence in children. If you aren't pressured like that, and then it's kind of obviously giving you that sense of security and confidence, then go on and do your own thing later in life and obviously succeed. So (laughs) if Matt, I guess that leads on quite nicely to what it is that you do now. And I guess you you wanted to kind of take over most of the chat there, Matt, (laughs) as the owner of a business yourself. Yeah, no, I I guess just before we get onto that as well, just in terms of your mindset, you know, when we kind of met, obviously it was university and it was a yeah. long time ago. In in terms of, you know, do you feel like you've always been quite kind of driven because you've, you're in a situation now where you need you need a lot of drive to get to to scale a business to in the way that you've done it, obviously with with your co-founders and partners throughout the way. Uh, um, but you know, do you think you've been quite driven, uh, just gen generally as a person? <laughs> It, I think it's more of a push than a sorry. It's more of a pull than a push. Yeah. I, I, I think there's. It, it's not necessarily a drive. I think there's a level of energy and, and excitement, and you know when something interests me, I really throw myself at it, and, and you know, I, yeah, I, I enjoy, you know, the the, um, the challenges and the experiences, and so I guess that that was the thing. Really, it was like a, a moth you know, being drawn to a, a, a light bulb. And I, and I think that that was it rather than necessarily feeling this drive to have to do something mm. but not know where to channel it. I think it was more of a pull. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's mm. interesting. So I guess taking it right back to the beginning then, you know, I remember living with you in London and you were in your lap, you know, on your laptop, in your room, kind of nobody really knew what you were up to. Um, but, you know, you were busy doing stuff and you were doing a lot of work sometimes when we maybe were doing other things. And um, just where, you know, for you, 
Can you talk through that at the beginnings? Where did it all start? Where did that kind of initial idea come from in terms of, right, I'm going to you know, set up the business and then move from just you doing it as maybe as a contract or whatever to scaling something that's become what it's become. And we'll talk about a bit more about what it has become, but just maybe the yeah. early days of, and that part of the journey. Yeah. So I, I was, you know, when I moved to London, I started working in, in the automotive industry, but, uh, you know, in it, it wasn't necessarily um, something I searched for or was passionate about. And actually at the time, the thing that motivated me most was the people that I was working with. It's a fantastic bunch of people. And, you know, when I, when I look back at, you know my kind of performance and output then you know i'm kind of horrified i think you know i would i would have kind of fired myself within four weeks i think and and um but it you know yeah it was the camaraderie and it was the the lifestyle and then um you know i switched i, I became an actor for a short period of time at millennium dome and that it was because an opportunity presented itself and i thought okay just you know i, I can do this and therefore i'll seize a day and, and kind of experience it and that was Really great fun. And then I got, a, um, you know, I saw it, was, it actually wasn't very well paid and, and so money became tight. And then an opportunity came up to um, launch a vehicle in Belgium. And um, that, you know, so, so I took that and it was a bit of a, I chanced it a little bit because the, the requirements that they asked for, I didn't quite have. So I, I, I kind of knew enough to kind of blag, blag myself into the role. And then when I landed there, I just, you know, threw um tenacity i guess it was just kind of made it work and, and made made myself valuable but but it was yeah I, I became fascinated by the by the complexity of it and the way it was working and and actually a lot of the failure modes were the things that i found really easy to do and 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 therefore i i kind of i took that on and owned it and actually it made it was like the oil in the gearbox and it just made everything work and everyone was happy and all of a sudden you become this person that can do this unique thing that no one else could do or wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, everyone, everyone loved it and, and appreciated it. And, and I thought, okay, this is fantastic. And then um, when I wanted to move on to another company, they wanted me to find someone that could do what I was doing. And, and that's what I, I met, um, you know, my co-founder Adam Grant. And, and it was never an intention to form a business. It was, it, it was, um, I guess, yeah, just something that, um, and, yeah, I guess see, seizing an opportunity and then, and then yeah, discovering something that, that I was passionate about. Yeah. Okay. And then kind of what happened next then? So you and Adam kind of co-founded Quick Release um, and the two of you were working, actively working on the kind of roles yourself. Um, and what talk through the journey from that point to kind of how you started to scale it up into the kind of global organization it is today yeah so we we were we were both working in in that in that function but for different companies and we there was never a, we didn't have an official company at that point in time um and we hadn't even thought about it and at some point i guess we said okay this, this would be a great idea not not for a business but a group of people who that you know like us they love doing this thing and um you know, we, we could offer this as a service. So I think there's a gap in the market. You know, this isn't, this isn't, it seems to be needed, but it's not being done. Yeah. Um, or, and so um, we we then actually, the projects came to an end and we, we ended up taking a year out, I think it was, to actually work on building the business. And in hindsight, 
you know, that was a, I think we wasted a lot of time. So we, we you know, by, by trying to actually think about how to create a business, we actually missed an opportunity to create a business or delayed it. Yeah. And, um, and so that it, it, it almost didn't come to anything. And it was only when we got back into work that um, the opportunities, you know, by being connected to people, the opportunities appeared. And then we got a big break in, I think, 2006 from a, a guy called um, uh, Greg Ben Susan, who got us out to Cologne in Germany, which is which is the, the start of my life in Germany, I guess. Yeah. And um, and then yeah, we, we worked on a project together, and and that was um, you know we had an official company at that point, um, and and I think the major the next major breakthrough was when we got asked by another company or client to to support them, and then we were forced to hire someone um, in order to you know make that. Um, you know that that step change in, yeah. in you know, the company. Okay, I guess to give it a bit of context for listeners as well who maybe don't know as much about the business and where it's at now, could you talk a bit about maybe number of employees, kind of recent events, just in terms of that, so we can give the conversation. Yeah. I want to go a bit more into a bit more detail around the journey, but yeah. just to give that context of the business now as it is as it stands. Yeah. So um, yeah, so the, these days we're, um, we're we're a company of about three hundred and fifty people. Uh, we're, we're a management consultancy, but we've kind of grown from the ground up. So um, we're, we're definitely you know we've got our feet firmly on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're still a niche company. Um, we operate in uh, globally, so we've got we've got um, people in Germany, UK, uh, US, um, Australia, Spain, and. Um, yeah, we, we, I think the kind of a, a, a significant milestone f- for me was when we um, appeared in the Financial Times Top 15 yeah. Automotive Consultants. Um, you know, that was, a, I guess, um, you know, a confirmation that we'd arrived and that, that you know, people recognised us as being a, a force for, um, yeah, for good in, in the automotive industry. And And I suppose, so that's amazing achievement when you think about it, you know, from when we're talking about you kind of two people or whatever it is one person at the beginning now 350 people a huge amount of scaling kind of to get to that point um i'm interested in a couple of things you know kind of key that scaling part you know we i run a small business myself um but you know how from your perspective how did you scale from two three four people to this point where you're now 350 and i guess another part of that is around investment so um how how was that initial part funded? Was it bootstrapped? Did you get external investors in as founders? Did you you know put it all in yourselves? Or what? How did that all work? Um, yeah. So the the thought of investors and you know burning money without actually having an income terrifies me. And <laughs> uh, it, so we because I guess we we um, you know we we were quite fortunate in the sense that. We were when we when we created the company, we were being paid to, to deliver the work, and so yeah. there's all we've we've never we've never been in the red. We've always you know had positive cash flow, etc. And um, I think the you know the whole the whole time you know from the from the financial perspective, we were always you know we we're quite uh, modest in the amount of money we took out of the business, and and the money that came in, you know, was always then used to fund. You know, new employees and, and other other things we had to fund to grow the business. So um, yeah, and that and and I, and I think the growth itself as well. We 
early on, we we just got approached. You know, people we had a good reputation. People heard of what we did and they wanted it, so they came to us. And so actually, we were kind of chasing um, to keep up with the opportunity. And then at, at some point, it it switched a little bit, and we said, okay. Uh, you know, because that was, it was just organic growth. Yeah. It was like shooting fish in a barrel, really. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, at some point we said, well, we, if you want to become sustainable as a business, you need to have an apparatus to then, you know, create opportunities. Mm. And then that was, um, I guess, again, a, a significant uh, evolution in the company where we started to say, okay, how do you do this? Because up until now, it was me being in the cafeteria of one of the customers and people would walk past me and say, hey, Rob, we've got this thing. Can you have a look at it? And, <laughs> you know, that was where opportunities came from. And, and and then, yeah, you had to find a way to do that with companies that you'd never even spoken to before. Yeah. And and any, you know, key hires along the way? Um, I guess next point for me around key, obviously key hires at that point. And then we'll get into kind of the highs and lows, the challenges that you've, yeah. you've had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, 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 I, uh, when when I look back at the you know, uh, the, the things that have really changed the business, key, key hires have been um, you know it's been so influential. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the I guess the the third significant figure we got on, in the company, a guy called Adam Blomley, who's yeah. um, you know who's now CEO of the company. Mm. He's um, you know whereas Adam and I we, we um, you know we, we work well together but I don't think we had enough forward momentum um, to take the company to where it is today. And, and it took someone like Adam Blomini to come in with his kind of business head and, and his vision to actually then give us that that, that momentum and, 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 and also guidance, really, which then helped us to, you know, take the, 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 the nucleus of the idea that we had and, and turn it into what it is um, now. And, you know, there's people like him, there's um, a, a chap called Nick Solly, for example, um, who is, you know, an amazing brain, like a, a super technical guy that great, you know, he at the weekend, for example, he'll, he'll invent, you know, an AI uh, tool, you know, for fun. <laughs> and, um, and then, and you've got other, and then there's a guy called Ian Quest as well, who, who then said, look, what you're doing, he, he came in from it with a consulting background and he said, what you're doing can actually be applied to, you know, deliver process improvements and, and actually save businesses a lot of money. So let, you know, let's see how we can then, you know, do, do that and then yeah. also communicate it. And so he, he again, you know, took quick release to a whole new level. And, and just recently there's a, a chat we heard called Marcus Uden, who's, who's done a similar thing in terms of, you know, understanding where we, where we are in the, in the industry and, and the, the, you know, the products and the, the IP, et cetera. So, Excellent. Yeah. And in terms of along that journey, obviously, you know, it's been, it's been, what is it, 20 years probably that you've yeah. been doing this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a journey it's been really when you think about it. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about kind of the, the highs and lows? You know, there were any points in during that kind of journey where you thought, oh, yeah, you know, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Or has it all been, yeah, as you say, organic growth, positive, um, you know, and, and what were the key high points as well? As yeah. So... Um, I, I've never, I never felt like I couldn't do it anymore. I, I've always, it's, it's always, we've been really lucky that everything has always somehow been positive. And I think that comes from the group of people that, that have led the company. So it's, it's definitely not one of these companies where you have one, one founder or, or, or you know, two people. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there's a collective of, I'd say, um, you know, eight influential leadership figures. 
who really we had each other's backs and you know in the same way that you know we were friends at university yeah. you know you you have a, a group of people who you really trust each other you motivate each other you feel like you can take on the world together yeah. and so no matter how hard things got you always felt like there, there was a way that, that you could solve it and and the, the, in, the in the early days you know you'd, you'd have a, a problem which in, in hindsight, it seems so small, but it, it was the first time you've experienced it. You know, like the, the first time an employee left, you're like, oh my goodness, you know what? We need to change the whole company to avoid that <laughs> happening. And, and after a while, you realize that it's normal. You know, people come and people go, and and, and, um, and actually, most of the time, you, you, you know, you're doing the right thing. I think the, the, there was a, the, the, fir- the, the, the thing that really hit us, and I think everyone will echo this, is. The first time one of the team we lost one of, one of the team died, and um, oh, no. that that had a um, you know a, a big impact on us, and I think everyone still kind of carries that with them. Yeah. And that that was really tragic and sad. Um, it's, it wasn't anything to do with work, but it you know it it um, yeah I guess it was that was that was a first, and I and I don't think anyone will ever get over that. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know the the last two or three years has been really hard because we we you know had we were always face to face with each other. We always had teams on site with customers yeah. and all of a sudden everyone was working from home behind a laptop. And, and that has taken a lot of getting used to and it's, and it's, you know, I, I, I think we really miss the days when everyone was together and, and you see it when you come into the office, it's, um, you know, completely different vibe. Yeah. We, we certainly find that as well. Mm. We had the same yeah. kind of thing. I think people much prefer being in the office. It's quite um, nice to do the odd hybrid day now yeah. and then. Like, you know, well, not hybrid day, but um, yeah, work from home and have a bit of a change it up a bit. Yeah. But in general, it's so nice to come back into the office. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I suppose that kind of segues kind of quite nicely into my next question around your company culture. Mm-hmm. I've really been impressed, you know, from what I've seen and knowing you as a person as well and how you are likely to manage a business and, and people. Um, I'm really interested in kind of the culture of the business, how you obviously, why is it so important to you? Because I, I think I have a similar view on making sure that the company culture is is really strong. Why is it, why is it so important to you? And how have you maintained that um, as the business has grown? Yeah. So in the beginning, the culture was, it was just there. And I think it came, it came from, you know, the people that, um, created the company in the beginning. It was just the kind of people we are, you know, the things we cared about, the values we had. And and when we hired people, we we hired people that they came with, you know, different backgrounds, different skill sets, but ultimately they had we had shared values. Yeah. And at some point, I think it was um Adam Blomley's brother Ben Blomley who who introduced this idea of you know culture eating strategy for breakfast. And I, I genuinely believe in it. And I, I and we 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 said well, you know the company's growing. We actually probably need to articulate the culture and, and say what it is. And so we sat down and said, you know, we we, we talked through it, and it, it's quite difficult to distill it into something that's simple and easily communicated and understood. And so we did that exercise, and, and we came up with the what we you know define as the the DNA of the QR culture. And then the, the important thing then is how do you build it into everything you do. Um, and I, I think the, the beauty of culture is, is that, you know, you can't, we, we're definitely not like a hierarchical company and, and we, we're dependent on people being independent and um, being able to, you know, um, represent the best of uh, quick release. And so 
the best way of doing that is instilling the culture in the individuals and and you you know that that happens all the way through from you know recruitment and all the way through the the kind of employee experience and um you know the things that you champion the things that you care about the things you talk about and and it has to be genuine it has to be lived you know it's not a it's not a um you know a, a strategy that you can come up with if no one actually gets it and and, and you know holds it dear did you have kind of culture ambassadors within the business as it's grown you know is it something that's just happening and the culture is there and obviously the leaders that you have are obviously just exuding that culture or is it more kind of more actively well the the, the interesting thing is yeah because I, we, we definitely couldn't say to someone okay you're a cultural ambassador off you go it's um it's something that yeah was was just in the the dna of the people but actually the the interesting thing is how the culture is evolving so back in the day you know there's bits of culture where we said that we can't take that with us we have to kind of leave that behind mm-hmm. um but actually there's this these kind of this you know new part of the culture that that kind of still fits with the core yeah. but actually it's something that we we probably want to talk about more or focus on more and so the, the culture um whilst uh, let's say the fundamentals stay the same you know the the the, the thing the details of it um evolve and that that's great because it it means that everyone that comes into the company over the years they've influenced the the, the, the company culture mm-hmm. and that, that's that's the cool thing about it is it you know the company's bigger than me or anyone you know any one individual it's it's the collective yeah. and you talked a bit before as well about it just like your culture being genuine um and i was listening to a different podcast with yourself and your ceo adam that you were on yeah. um and in it you were discussing company culture and transparency um and you were saying that from the early days of the company you've opened the books to your employees so you've yeah. shown them like how much you've made where the money's going how much you pay yourselves how much you pay them um and i i think that podcast host on that one was quite surprised at that too and i was listening to it and i just found it really refreshing i suppose like and i just kind of want you to talk me through that and how it works to benefit your company culture yeah it, so to adam, adam grant and i it was terrifying and we, <laughs> we you know we, we said we can't do this otherwise everyone's you know everyone's gonna demand pay rises and um, <laughs> it's gonna be chaos but actually um one thing we learned from adam blomley is that he, and i think I don't know if I talked about this, but you know, he, he comes from a teaching background, and, and he's definitely um, of the mindset that if you empower, give people the tools, and give them the understanding of the context, and then let them get on with it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you know that that's part of the context. And I think you, you know, you're open with people. You you they they, they trust you because you they see that you're not hiding anything, and and they understand. You know. You, you say, look, this is what it is. This is, you know, this is how the business functions. You've got money coming in, we've got money going out. You know, we have to generate a certain amount of profit, and um, and then, yeah, yeah, that you know, people people then can can they, they they relax. I think when they understand that, and then they they understand the, the kind of system, and um, yeah, I, I'd like I'd like to think that uh, yeah, everyone in the business um, you know values it and. You know, as, as you get bigger, you've got different countries, you know, so there's yeah. there's, there's different cultures, et cetera, from, that cover the different countries and, and they, they view things slightly different. But, but I think as a, as a core principle, that transparency and openness is, is um, it's got to be part of companies going forward. 
definitely. Um, and you just talked a bit then as well about like, you know, operating in different countries. Obviously, you operate globally. Um, and that kind of leads me on nicely to kind of the next section that I wanted to touch on and just talking about kind of you and your move to Germany um, mm-hmm. and kind of how you found that and like how were your early days in Germany? How did you manage the language barrier? Because obviously it's a it's a big move to make. Did you know any German when you moved there? <laughs> no, because obviously I, I gave Matt you loads would, of advice. Yeah, <laughs> being fluent in German yourself, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember the days of um, university when Matt went off to do his um, placement Mm. year. Is it gap year? No, not gap year. It's a placement in in Germany. Germany, Germany, Germany. I've heard they're quite um, like gap years, though. I don't think you do much studying when you're out there, do you? (laughs) Not a huge amount. A lot more learning through the pub, pub chat. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so, you know, Matt was in Germany, and um, the the thing that stuck with me when, um, you know, he he talked about um, at lunchtime in 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 the business, and he would meet people for lunchtime, and he'd say "Mahlzeit," um, which is a kind of you know lunchtime greeting, and I, yeah. I found it hilarious. And, <laughs> and the idea of living in Germany and you know in a place where you can't speak the language and you don't know the culture, etc., was just so alien. And it, and and yeah, I find it like um, yeah, fascinating that I I've ended up in Germany, you know where where. You know, kind of Matt is not in Germany, and not yeah, so uh, in Germany, even though I've <laughs> never studied it. And how that, how that, you know, how does that happen? And um, yeah, I, I guess um, it's quite luckily. And there's a lot of different places in Germany, and I think Cologne is quite international. And it's quite open and open and, and welcoming, and um, the it's got a, a long history of um, immigration and integration. And um, you know, I think. Um, I, I never, I never studied German, so it's, it's really everything I've learned is, you know, from uh, you know being married to a German or, or just trying to, you know, lean in and, and speak with the people I'm working with, and um, you know, it, our, our company language is, is British and English, and I'm, I can do business far better in English than I can in German. But meanwhile, you know, I've, I've got a German passport. You know, yeah. the I'm kind of fully integrated into German life, and you know, really appreciate it as well but yeah very very strange that that, that life has taken this path <laughs> definitely sounds it um but no it sounds like a great move to make as well and speaking of language barriers and kind of navigating that you've also recently taken in ukrainian family matt tells me yeah yeah so um yeah we we kind of watched the news every evening and, and saw what was happening there and, mm-hmm. and you know like everyone was shocked by it and felt helpless in some ways you know so we, we gave money as many people have done um and, and we when we when we saw that there's a lot of people leaving ukraine we saw you know could we take people in and uh, we got some space in the house and, and so we put an advert online um and we didn't really hear anything for a long time and then we got approached by a, a local family a local german family actually had taken in some ukrainians but temporarily and they they, they needed to move the family and so we said you know, let's go for it, and and it's um, it, it's it's you know, really challenging. I, I think we were um, in, in some ways, it's it's good that we were probably naive and we didn't think things through entirely. Um, otherwise, we might not have done it. And and I think in these situations, you have, you know you have to accept that um, you know it's, you're, you're inviting people into your house that you've got no you know no idea who they are and their their, their background and. You know, um, and yeah, it's it's. Um, I think you just you have to. What, what's good is it that you 
you know, whenever there's, you know, um, um, you know, points of um, friction, just to think back and say, well, you know, these people haven't left the country just for fun. You know, there's yeah. there's a reason why they they've left their families behind, and you know, some of them have left children there, some of them have left husbands, and um, you know, we're doing a good thing, and and you just you just kind of get on with it, and um, yeah. No, I'm really proud of you, mate, for doing that. It's a really brilliant thing you're doing, and um, yeah, so well done. And and in terms of the kind of language barrier side of it, is it you know. You mentioned you you were kind of conversing over Google Translate. Is that still is that yeah. still the case? Wow. Yeah, definitely. There's um, we the, the app we use is um, DeepL. It's called, yeah. and I, I use that for German as well. But it, yeah, you, you get you get by. I mean, it's weird you, that the you can't when you when you sat down and if you're having dinner together at the table, it's it, you know it doesn't you can't really converse fluently. But certainly for the you know, um, you know, how was your day? You know, how did it go at this appointment? And and um, you know, those those kind of short interactions, it's fine. And and you, and and you know, my, my daughter is five. That um, they've they've got a, a child of five as well. And those two, you know, play together like they're best friends, and, and they Aww. can't even speak a word of each other's language, but they they you know, it just works. So I think there's a lot to the, you know, it speaks a lot to the the, the, the basic human ability to you know communicate also not through language mm. and children's minds are like sponges as well people say so it'll be quite interesting just to see if the kids <laughs> are able to communicate a lot faster than the adults are um yeah you know like actually through speech as well not just through play and other types of communication yeah. so yeah. yeah definitely no that's a really great thing that you're doing though um yeah really no, really impressive so mm -hmm. um and I, I guess I wanted to ask, kind of moving on slightly from that as well, just so we're asking quite a lot of our guests around kind of their, whether they have any non-negotiable kind of core values. And I suppose this probably all links everything, links the whole conversation together, really. Um, in terms of how you operate in life and in, in business, have you got any kind of, any of those? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it, as you say, it comes back to the, the you know, the values that you're brought up with and um you know it's always been um you know, honesty and um being kind to other people and um you know i think i think that yeah those, those are the non-negotiables really you know and what i found really weird is this, there's there's actually some people in the world who don't have these shared values and and um yeah. that's caught me out a couple of times and um yeah, but I think you know, just just continuing to be honest and and just accepting that um, you know everyone's different and everyone sees the world slightly differently, and so take the time to kind of understand the other people that you're interacting with and and get to know them, get to know how they're thinking, what their expectations, and yeah, try and make it a win-win for you know all parties. Yeah. And so I don't speak any German, so I feel like the minority here. Um, <laughs> so I was just thinking, what is one of your favourite kind of German words or phrases? Because I, <laughs> I need to learn something. <laughs> yeah, with, without a um, shadow of doubt, it's it's Maltzeit. Whatever I, it, it, it always, bring, you know, people probably wonder why I say it so enthusiastically. But <laughs> it's um, yeah, every every time uh, you know I get the opportunity to say it at lunchtime, even when it's you know not necessarily appropriate, <laughs> I'll use it just because it, it brings me so much joy thinking about the irony of know. you know the, the you know the fact that with with you know, Matt being in, in Germany and, and having kind of swapped places with him. I do remember you know when I first worked over there. So I, when I did my year, I did a I did. Um, 
a term in university and then six months kind of working in in a business and mm. I'd be walking along the corridor and just a random German person would just shout Mahlzeit at me <laughs> and I would wonder what on earth they were saying until I realized very quickly that that's what everyone shouted said to each other at mealtime which is what it means I was going to ask what what it, does uh, this word mean it, basically, <laughs> it means, means mealtime ah, it's like right. it's mealtime it's mealtime <laughs> um so you get you get used to it, but it is a bit of a shock so when I came back from Germany and I would be um, saying Mahlzeit to people <laughs> randomly and uh, and yeah but it is it is a uh, it is pretty uh, strange how now Rob is living that life um, yeah. <laughs> for the past however many years, and I'm I'm up here in sunny Scotland, so it's strange how uh, life works. Well, I love that, and if it's one thing that I've taken away from this conversation, it's that Germans are very enthusiastic about food. So <laughs> obviously, I've well, learned a lot more as well. Though. <laughs> yeah, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I've um, you know ad- adopted to German life. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the love of food and, and beer, yeah. Italian it's background. Been, Mm. (laughs) well thanks so much for coming on today to chat to us Rob I know that you're quite busy so we'll leave it there although I'm sure we could chat all day (laughs) Um, but yeah thanks so much for coming on again it was really interesting from my perspective knowing nothing about your business to basically hear how you started it how you've scaled it and how you are like how you've got to where you are today so thanks again make it a map thank you very much for having me on and lovely to speak with you I really appreciate it enjoy the rest of your day thanks Thanks for listening to our Red Talks podcast. Please like, share and subscribe.